Thank you for allowing me to join you today on this special Labor Day edition. My name is David Whitcomb. I am an MD, PhD physician scientist at the University of Pittsburgh, professor of medicine, and led the GI division for 17 years and have had a career in scientific research focused on human beings and specifically the pancreas. But I've been invited to talk today about someone I know very well, Professor John C. Whitcomb, one of the great theologians of the 20th century, and my father. I've recently completed a biography on his life and times and learned so many fascinating things that I never knew growing up. I was often asked as a child, do you know who your father is? And I said yes, thinking that I could identify him immediately. But this question of who he was really encompassed something I never really appreciated until I carefully reviewed his life and life story and found it to be incredibly amazing. Dr. Whitcomb was known as a great Bible teacher. He specialized in theology, in Old Testament history, and the creation flood narrative of Genesis. And this is where he uh, gained international notoriety. It came through the writing of a book called The Genesis Flood. And after reading the book and reflecting on the time in which it was written, which is the 1950s, I realized that very few people could have written this book. It was uh, amazingly detailed and really hit at the core of evolutionary theory and uh, biblical narrative. And I wondered how he was prepared as a person to write this book and who else could have written it other than himself and his co-author, Henry Morris. I also reflected on the impact of this book. It was really the first effective refutation on evolutionary theory that was accomplished in the world. It changed Christian doctrine, and the way Christian doctrine is established is also a fascinating area of study. And thirdly, it demonstrated for the first time the inductive Bible study method rather than deductive, and secondly, how to effectively use an apologetic method called a presuppositional approach to apologetics, which is allowing God to really do the argument, and your job is to quote accurately what the Bible says. The other thing I learned was that he was a man of service who was wholly dedicated to loving and serving the Lord in every aspect of his life. He had many outlets of this. The first one was obviously teaching at Grace Theological Seminary for about 30 years in which he trained over 1,000 men who went out into the world and had effects on perpetuating God's truths in many countries and in many capacities. He also taught faithfully at Word of Life Bible Institute. He helped uh, develop a Christian workman practorium, allowing the local churches to train their men and women for service. He developed Whitcomb Ministries in which materials that were needed for 
uh, special studies uh, such as on Old Testament history and on creation and level evolution were available. He was a conference speaker uh, speaking all over the world and many of these uh, conferences were recorded and he also had a radio ministry allowing the things that he had learned to be passed on to others. As far as Christian service goes, he also had a major focus on foreign missions and kept track of so many people in, on, uh, in foreign countries who were struggling in missions and would often call them and visit them and encourage them. And he had a, a worldview that uh, was amazingly insightful. And he used to uh, learn uh, phrases in all types of different foreign languages so that he could uh, say a few words to people in their native tongue. And the third area of Christian service was evangelism. And everywhere he went, he handed out gospel tracts. He talked to people in uh, their own at their own level and really tried to encourage and evangelize them everywhere he went. He was an unusual man in his uh, development and personality. He was very humble and felt that his uh, upbringing in a godless home uh, really affected his uh, ability to uh, be a Christian leader and really shied away, especially from administrative responsibilities, uh, feeling that uh, he was more of an analyst and a, and a servant uh, and did not aspire to any leadership ability, but he was a servant leader, leading by demonstrating how a man of God serves God in those capacities, and in that way, he was a great leader. He also had a great appreciation for men who put their time and energy into developing him. He stated that he had four fathers, the first one, of course, is his biological father, uh, Colonel John C. Whitcomb, who was a great military mind and leader, West Point graduate, and uh, served in World War II as the chief of staff of the 90th Infantry in Patton's Army. And during my father's uh, childhood, he traveled from place to place, as military families do every three to four years, uh, giving him an interesting worldview. He had a spiritual father, a missionary by the name of Donald Fullerton, who was a Princeton graduate, but uh, had health problems and had to come back to the United States. And uh, he would go to Princeton University, where my father was a college student, and hold Bible studies. And through his Bible studies, my father came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior, and that radically changed his view of the world and his career goals and aspirations. His third father was his theological father, Alva J. McLean, who was the founder and president of Grace Theological Seminary. Alva J. McLean also had a fascinating background and uh, took a liking to my father uh, in that he was uh, academically superb, having been trained at Princeton, and Dr. McLean would use him to help grade term papers of the seminary students, and uh, since my father was single during the time he went to Grace Seminary, uh, Dr. McLean and his wife would have him over for supper frequently, and then they would talk about theology and 
those types of education. And finally, my father had a scientific father that he pointed to uh, Henry Morris. Uh, Henry Morris and my father were contemporaries, and uh, my father called uh, Henry Morris Dr. Morris, and Dr. Morris called my father Jack, which was his nickname. And uh, my father just had such respect for Henry Morris that he always referred to him uh, as uh, Dr. Morris until uh, later on he finally felt comfortable calling him Henry. My father's childhood was actually fascinating as well. He was the only child in the military family, as I mentioned. And in fact, uh, the Whitcomb family has a long and illustrious military history uh, dating back to the Revolutionary War and before that, the French and Indian War. But my father was not a pugilist or a fighter, and uh, he did not enjoy the uh, approach of my grandfather, Colonel Whitcomb, uh, who loved uh, competition such as uh, boxing matches and uh, football and those types of things. Instead, my father was a book person uh, who enjoyed reading and studying. When my dad was three years old, my grandfather was assigned to a military outpost the United States had in Tinsin, China, which is near Beijing. At that time, it was called Peking. And he grew up there for three years, from age three to six. He was put into the uh, care of a woman by the name of Peng, who was a Chinese peasant, as my grandfather and grandmother traveled all throughout China to see the Great China Wall, the Forbidden City, and all the amazing things in Eastern uh, culture and history. And Peng raised my father. She loved him and really poured herself into him around the clock. The consequence was that my father's first language was Mandarin Chinese, and he could barely speak English. And secondly, he had a deep love for the Chinese people, the Chinese food, culture, and always had uh, that impression in his mind and heart, and even wondered why his own mom didn't spend the same amount of time and focus on him that Peng did. My grandfather was reassigned to Kansas, uh, to Fort Leavenworth, where he worked on uh, developing a a new military doctrine about how to fight a war since the trench warfare, World War I, was ineffective. And this was in the 1930s. And then uh, went to Seattle, Washington. My dad was there from about age 10 to 14, and he remembers Seattle as being his childhood home. However, World War II was breaking out, and my grandfather was reassigned to Fort Benning, Georgia, where the great military strategies of World War II were developed, where General Patton, who was actually a neighbor of my father's, uh, developed his own version of Plitzkrieg and the reputation as an aggressive fighter, where he said, we will attack and attack until we are exhausted, and then we'll attack again. My father also had the opportunity to learn golf, which was right across the street from his house in the officer's golf course, where he golfed with Omar Bradley and many of the top brass and leaders of the Allied forces. But the high schools in Fort Benning, Georgia, were terrible, and so my grandfather determined to send my father to a 
college prep school and military academy and found one in Fort Benning, Georgia called Macaulay Military Academy. The headmaster was a devout Christian and the curriculum was really centered around teaching young men discipline about Christ and about service. And this was a transformative time in my father's life as he learned uh, the disciplines of study. Uh, He had an opportunity to work with a school yearbook and newspaper and learned about publishing. He learned academically about Christ, although he was not a Christian and was prepared for college. My grandfather wanted him to go to West Point, but because of his eyesight, he was not eligible So he applied to Princeton and was accepted. The years at Princeton had a huge impact on my father in multiple ways. Princeton University was started as a seminary, and through the 1800s, it was the premier defender of the faith. Amazingly, because of the effect of higher criticism and specifically evolution as taught in the undergraduate part of Princeton, the seminary changed in their understanding of the accuracy and authority of Scripture and became completely corrupt in the 20th century, about the time my father enrolled in Princeton University as a freshman. As a freshman, he had to sign up for some courses, and since he loved geography, he signed up for geology, only to find that this was evolutionary geology taught by the world's experts on flood geology, paleontology, dinosaurs, trilobites, and those types of things that are fascinating to young men. This was obviously perfect preparation for future work with Henry Morris on the Genesis flood. But more importantly, during his freshman year, some students took him to a Bible study led by Donald Fullerton, in the Princeton Evangelical Fellowship. And Dr. Fullerton led my father to the Lord, becoming his spiritual father and his spiritual mentor for years to come. Two weeks after he accepted Christ, he was drafted into the military and whisked off for basic training in North Carolina and then sent to Germany to fight the Nazis in World War II. Now, it was amazing to me that my father had a very detailed and organized mind, and he kept records of everything that he did, all his correspondence with his parents and letters that he received. And he also kept a diary every day of his life from age 11. And so the richness of the material that was available to track his history allowed me to put together a fascinating book about his life and times, including his time in the U.S. military fighting through uh, World War II. By the end of World War II, he was quite discouraged since he had no Christian friends and was not reading the Bible and was drifting. But he, by chance, ran into an old classmate from Macaulay School by the name of Bill Erdsman, whose father had... Erdsman Publishing Company. And Bill was considered a bad boy when he was at Macaulay, but he was miraculously saved during one of the battles that he was fighting in Italy. And then after the war, went throughout Europe evangelizing everyone he could, and he ran into my father. 
my father suddenly realized that God was planning something great for his own life and became uh, very excited about participating in evangelistic efforts with Bill. When my father returned from World War II to the United States, he was not that interested in returning to school and really did not know what to do. He met with Donald Fullerton, who convinced him that he needed to complete his undergraduate education and then go on to seminary if he wanted to be an effective missionary to China, which had become his goal the day that he accepted Christ as a savior. He enrolled in Princeton, but before returning in the fall, he got a hold of a book called Therefore Stand, written by Wilbur Smith, that argued that the Christian position on the authority of Scripture had been destroyed by liberal theologians and higher criticism because there were no solid Christian apologists who could accurately defend the Bible. And Wilbur Smith called for a new generation of scholars to stand for the Scriptures. And my father, reading that, saw his own education and ability to articulate facts and felt that he was equipped to defend the Bible. So when he returned to Princeton, he was a new man who was 100% committed to Christ, to evangelism, to the authority of Scripture, and to preaching and teaching. And he came back like a rocket shot out of a cannon and worked 24 hours a day to send letters to all the freshmen, inviting them to the Bible studies of Dr. Fullerton, to having Bible studies in his room, prayer meetings every night, knocking on the doors of other people, inviting guests in, and it completely changed the nature and effectiveness of the Princeton Evangelical Fellowship, which reverberated for the next 50 years. After finishing his time at Princeton University, he went to Grace Seminary, where he met his future theologic father, Alva J. McLean. McLean had him write a history of Grace Seminary, since my father was a historian, and that book is available, and it's a fascinating history that I've included in the biography. Dr. McLean had a very high view of Scripture as the final authority on inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. But by the 1950s, Alva J. McLean and all other conservative leaders had conceded to the so-called scientific experts on the origin of the world using the gap theory in order to put the theory of evolution somehow into the Bible. The gap theory suggests that between Genesis 1-1, when God created the heavens and the earth, and Genesis 1-2, where the world was formless and void, was a period of millions and millions of years in which the dinosaurs roamed the earth and there was a previous earth uh, history that was destroyed and reformed by God. However, my father uh, found that that was not exactly the way the scriptures presented the origin of the earth based on the new tools that he had learned called Hebrew exegesis. However, his primary focus was on becoming a missionary to China, so he kept those convictions to himself. However, the communists took over China and killed missionaries and believers, and the opportunity to 
go to China as a missionary ended and my father had no other plans. Alva J. McLean offered him a position of teaching Old Testament history and theology since the previous professor had left, and now my father was in a position where he had to teach young seminary students exactly what the Bible said in Genesis and in the Pentateuch and in the Psalms and other places in the Bible that touched on what God declared the history of the world was. As my father was putting together his notes on Genesis and apologetics, he heard a lecture by a man by the name of Dr. Henry Morris, who argued that the appearance of the geology of the earth, including all the layers, the dinosaurs, the coal seams, everything, was consistent with a massive global flood as described in Genesis. And in fact, the Genesis flood explained how the whole world appeared today. Although my father had heard this view in general, the scientific ability and insight of Henry Morris was extraordinary, and my father began corresponding with him in order for information to be accurate that was to be taught in my dad's courses. My father decided to use his THD thesis theme to go through the entire Bible and to look up every passage that touched on creation or the flood to determine how many narratives there were in the scriptures. And what he found was there was one and only one narrative. God created the heavens and the earth in six days and then later destroyed the world by global flood as a punishment for sin. The flood and punishment is unacceptable to unbelievers who do not want to be responsible for their life and unaccountable to God, and therefore they must have an alternative interpretation, thus the theory of evolution. I was fascinated in reviewing the notes of my father, how his thinking in developing the Genesis flood evolved as he began the writing process. Fortunately, he was strong in geology and in physics and engineering, thanks to Uncle Sam and his misadventure in taking geology at Princeton. Plus, his theological training allowed him to really tie the pieces together to prove that the Bible teaches a six-day creation in a global flood, and that explains everything that we see. However, he wasn't sure how to defend that. During a summer course in Winona Lake, Indiana, there was a visiting professor by the name of Cornelius Van Til, who had developed what was called a presuppositional approach to apologetics. This is not arguing the scripture from a philosophical standpoint, but from the standpoint, God said and then articulate exactly what God said and let the Holy Spirit do the work. The concepts and arguments of Van Til were very complex, but my father recognized they were thoroughly biblical and adopted them both for his thesis and in teaching. So he tied together evolutionary geology and paleontology, engineering, physics, and mathematics, theology using the inspiration of scripture and perspicuity that was taught by McLean, and the method of defending the scripture by uh, Van Til, and was able to 
write his thesis. The problem was that since he did not have a PhD in geology, editors and publishers stated that he had no right to critique scientists and therefore would not publish the book. Therefore, he reached out to Henry Morris and said, would you help me in writing this book because I need a man of science to join me in defense of a literal interpretation of Genesis. Henry Morris reviewed Dr. Whitcomb's thesis and thought that it was superb in many ways, but was weak in science because my father had quoted the opinion of other authors that often were not scientifically rigorous rather than going to the underlying mechanisms and evidences that Dr. Morris was an expert in. Dr. Morris also noted that he had been working on his own book with several chapters that had been written on the scientific method, and he sent them to my father, who said, you know, your science is fantastic, but your approach to defending the scripture really needs to be rethought. So both agreed to work with each other and to help rewrite each other's chapters the fact that Henry Morris was a devout Christian and had studied the Bible allowed him to help my father in putting the scriptural arguments into lay language. And my father, with a background in geology, paleontology, uh, mathematics, and physics, was able to help Henry Morris in better articulating his concepts, improving the references, and strengthening the manuscript. Together, when the book was finally finished in 1961, it was incredibly impactful throughout the earth because people that read the Bible who are Christians recognized that the arguments were sound, that this is what the Bible said. They became six-day creationists and began doing science based on the ideas that Henry Morris had put forth in the book. And after 60 years, the book still stands as being unrefuted, although heavily criticized by the opposition. The biography of my father that I wrote went from 1924 to 1961 with the publication of the Genesis Flood. There's so much more that needs to be added, and that will have to wait until the future. But what I learned is that this was a true man of God who was very humble and a servant. He loved the Lord with all of his heart, soul, and mind. He never aspired to leadership, but in fact, led by example of someone who was totally committed to God. God also gave him tremendous intellect and ability to clearly teach the scripture, and this was based on a deep knowledge from his own study and meditation and prayer. Uh, the help and encouragement of his fathers in the Lord, an organized mind, an attention to detail, ability to logically build arguments, and to have both the big picture and the small picture. He saw nobody as beneath him. He saw that all Christians were from God and were uh, precious to him, and therefore he was a humble man who was dedicated to serving every person to bring them to a closer and a deeper knowledge of his Lord Jesus Christ.